This conference is part two of a two-part series. What follows is message three of five of the Spring 2014 College Conference recorded Saturday, March 1st. 2014 in Latham Springs, Texas. Conference title is Life and Building Revealed in the Gospel of John, Part 2. Message title is The Need of Those Under the Bondage of Sin, Life Setting Free. All right. Praise the Lord. Uh, We're going to get into another chapter right now, John chapter 8. So if you could turn your outline to message 3. And uh, probably in the next couple of minutes, the high schoolers will be coming in, the high school seniors. Uh, But that's okay. We'll read a few verses here at the beginning, so maybe they'll come in as you're reading. Uh, How about we all read the title of this message together? Uh, Go. The need of those under the bondage of sin. Life setting free. Praise the Lord. Uh, you know, the record here in the Gospel of John, there's, there's nine cases um, that prove, the Holy Spirit put these cases here to prove that Jesus Christ uh, is God who came as life to meet man's every need and to be the, the life and life supply for every man. And the first six cases are actually a group of signs on the positive side to show us that he came as our life and life supply. And those, uh, if you could remember, we had uh, the matter of regenerating from John 3. In John 4, there were two cases, right? Life's satisfying and life's healing. And then in uh, chapter 5, there was life's enlivening. That was the impotent man at the pool of Bethesda. Uh, And then in John 6, life's feeding. He came and he fed the multitude as the bread of life. Uh, These are on the positive side. But the last three cases are actually on the negative side. And uh, actually, you got into one of those this morning in chapter 9 and 10. That has to do with blindness. We need to be set free from blindness. Uh, We need to be set free from sin. That's the content of this chapter 8. And then lastly, we need to be set free from death. These are the three signs on the negative side. Uh, that Christ has come as life to deliver us uh, from these three negative sin, uh, sign, uh, three negative things, which are in signs, <laughs> right? Uh, you have sin, blindness, and death. Okay, now, this chapter, you need to realize this chapter 8 of John, there's no other chapter like it in the Bible that exposes so thoroughly and so completely the matter of sin. Uh, So that's what we're going to get into tonight. Sin will be exposed. The source of sin, who is Satan, will be exposed and cast out. Uh, But the solution will also be brought forth, which is Jesus Christ himself. Uh, So how about we just spend a minute to read through these first 11 verses under Roman numeral 1. Roman numeral 1 says the complete and thorough exposure of sin in John 8. How about we have this half of the room? Okay, just, I'll cut right down the middle here. How about this half, read verse 1, this half on verse 2, and we'll just go back and forth through verse 11. Okay, go.
said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Well, <clears throat> that's the story. Um, you know, the Jews there, the religious ones, they were bothered by this man named Jesus. Uh, everybody was flocking to him, and he was uh, causing trouble with their religion and with their practices and so forth. And they wanted this guy out of the way. In fact, there's some verses in other chapters that say they wanted to kill him. Uh, so, at this point, they thought they had him. They had some ground to accuse him, right? They actually caught someone in the middle of committing adultery. I don't know what happened to the guy, but they brought the girl, they brought the, the woman, uh, they brought the woman, and, you know, they, they uh, according to the law of Moses, they should have stoned her, but they didn't. They brought him, her to Jesus uh, because they thought, we finally got this guy. Uh, <clears throat> you know, when they, when they brought her into the midst, uh, they said this woman was caught committing adultery in the very act and in the law, Moses commanded that such ones should be stoned. What do you say? What do you say? You know, earlier in chapter 3, we've got the verse here uh, <clears throat> under Roman numeral 3.C. You see John 3.17? It says, For God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. Well, Jesus, if you're the Savior of the world... What do you say? You going to condemn her? Are you going to allow us to throw stones at her? On the you know, if he said, "Yeah, go ahead," then how could he be the savior of the world? But on the other hand, if uh, if he said, "No, no, 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 don't don't throw any stones at her," uh, then they could accuse him of breaking the law of Moses, right? And that is worthy of punishment by death. <laughs> so they had him trapped. They had him trapped. Um, it's a real serious situation. They thought they were pretty smart. Actually, they were pretty stupid, right? <laughs> you know, uh, <clears throat> what did the Lord do? What, <laughs> what, what did the Lord do? You just read it. Okay, before that, listen, before that, before he said, he who is without sin, let him throw the first stone, before he let her go, it says he stooped down on the ground, and he just wrote, right? He just wrote on the ground. He didn't say a word. 
You know, many people over the centuries have speculated, what was he writing? Nobody knows. It's not recorded there. But anyways, the effect of his not saying a word, but just stooping down to the ground to write, it calmed the crowd down. You know, they were there, they were probably tossing their stones, right? Come on, Jesus, what do you say? They were ready to do away with this lady, right? They were hot. They were boiling. They were ready to kill Jesus. That's what they wanted to do. But he just said nothing. He stooped down, and the whole hot, boiling atmosphere got cooled down. You know, this should be a, a, a lesson for us. As those who follow the Lord, um, don't be surprised if on some occasions you'll be confronted with a situation like this uh, where you'll be tempted to say yes or no, to say right or wrong. You know, is it right to throw stones at her or is it not? But you have to realize these kind of questionings are all wrapped up and twisted up with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if you say yes, you're in trouble. And if you say no, you're in trouble. But they just want you to get to say, they want you to say yes or no so that they can accuse you. <laughs> you know? Oh, you say you're a believer in Christ? What do you think about this point? Yes or no? What do you think about this political issue? Right or wrong? And you get wrapped up. Uh, and you think you have to choose. But instead, we need to take the pattern of the Lord here, right? Sometimes it's better not to say anything. <laughs> when you were reading this morning in your groups uh, from John 9 and 10, remember they asked the Lord, the disciples asked the Lord about this blind man. They said, who, who sinned, him or his parents, that he would be born blind? You remember what the Lord's response was? Neither. Neither. Get out of the realm of right and wrong, yes or no. You need to come to the tree of life, right? This happens over and over again in the Bible. I've been reading through the book of Joshua with a, a high schooler, or actually a junior higher in our city. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, it's interesting. At a certain point when Joshua enters the good land, in the evening he encounters a man opposite him with a sword drawn. And Joshua asked him a question, are you for us or are you for our adversaries? And the man says, neither. As the host, as the captain of the army of God, uh, I have come. <laughs> I'm not for you. I'm not for your enemies. I'm for God. Amen. Right? Anyways, here's the situation here. Should we stone her? Should we not stone her? The tree of life is there in the midst. Praise the Lord. Uh, so we need to learn something of the Lord here. Not react so quickly uh, that the situation could be calmed down and we could direct people's attention to the tree of life, to Jesus Christ. <clears throat> okay, now in point A, and we're going to go through these first uh, points on Roman number one fairly quickly because that's not the main burden here. <clears throat> we want to get to... Uh, Jesus Christ, 
the one who can free us. But first of all, we need to have sin exposed and thoroughly exposed and completely exposed. Uh, and, and this chapter does it for us. Okay, now, uh, point A, it says, there is no man without sin. There is no man. In John 8, 7 there on your outline, they persisted in questioning him. He stood up. He said to them, who is without sin among you? Let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And, of course, you know the story. Uh, At first, you know, they all had stones. They were all ready. But as soon as they heard that word, starting with the older ones, they just dropped their stones and they left. You know, the, old, the longer you've been around, the older the, uh, the, you are, the more you realize how much of a sinner you are, right? How much constitution of sin you have. The younger ones, uh, they weren't that clear, but eventually when they saw the older ones leave, they realized, yeah, we can't stick around. And eventually, there was only one person left, and that was Jesus, right? He was the only one. Uh, <clears throat> In 1 Kings 8, let's read this together. If they have sinned against you, for there is no man who does not sin. This is very clear in the word. There is no man. If you ever think that you're going to arrive at some state of sinless perfection, you know what? It's not going to happen in this age. Because we have this body of flesh of sin. It's constituted into us. And there is no man who does not sin. In Romans 3, it says, There is none righteous, not even one. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Okay, so this matter is really exposed here in John 8. Then uh, B says the source of sin. The source of sin, that is the devil, Satan. He's the source. And uh, I think we all need to read uh, John eight forty four. Go. Right. You are of your father, the devil. That phrase shows, you know, the father's the source, right? Like father, like son. <laughs> you're, if your father's the devil, what are you? You're the devil. <laughs> you have the nature of Satan himself, right? The next verse says, he who practices sin is of the devil. And uh, in Revelation 20, Satan, the devil, is called the ancient serpent. He's been around a long time. He's the serpent. And in Matthew 23, the Lord called the people there serpents, brood of vipers. They're just the reproduction of their father, the devil. The ancient serpent had many children. That's all of us. You might think, well, I was born of my parents. Actually, you've been begotten of the devil. Um, you know, I have a couple of kids. And, uh, you know, when they're first born, oh, they're so precious, so lovely, so beautiful. Uh, 
you cherish them, you nourish them, take so tender care of them. And then at a certain point, and it doesn't take too long, it's a matter of months. <laughs> but at a certain point, <laughs> at a certain point, as you're interacting with this little child, something comes out. No! And you realize, whoa, rebellion. That's what, what I, this child was so lovely, so precious, so dear. But the rebellion, the rebellious element just gets exposed right in an instant. And you realize, yes, child of the devil. <laughs> oh, Lord. Anyways, the devil, he's the source. Okay, we move on to see the main categories of sin. The main categories are here exposed in John 8. And there's three main categories. Adultery and fornication, this has to do with immorality. And then murder, which even includes anger. You know, the Lord said, even if you get angry with someone, you've murdered them. And lies. Um... You know, immorality, this, this means confusion. Anything that confuses us, confuses people, uh, <clears throat> this is a type of adultery or fornication. And murder is killing, or even, like I said, uh, anger. Anger was the first manifestation of the sin nature. Uh, back in Genesis 4-5, when God approved of Abel's offering, and he disapproved of Cain's offering, it says Cain became very angry. That got manifested, right? Um, And then, of course, lying and cheating is related to lying. Deception, anything that deceives, this is sin. Uh, And, of course, all three of these categories are here in these verses in... uh, Verse 3, you can circle the word adultery. Verse 41, fornication. In verse 44, murder, murderer, and liar. These are the categories of sin. And then D is the bondage or slavery of sin. This is exposed to the uttermost here in John 8. Do you like that word, bondage? Slavery? No, we repudiate that word, right? It's repulsive to us, especially Americans, right? (laughs) this is the land of the free don't tell me about slavery bondage you want you want to bind me or put me in slave uh, as a slave Uh, well satan the devil has brought all humankind under bondage uh, by sin by imparting himself into uh, people starting with the very first couple that God created, right? And we're all descended from Adam, so we all have the sin nature, which has brought us into bondage. Uh, let's read these next two verses. How about the brothers on John eight thirty four, sisters on Romans seven twenty three? Go. <clears throat>
Right. In John 8, it's a slave of sin. In uh, Romans, he says a captive to the law of sin. You know, sin uh, has a law associated with it. It's a law. It's like, the, it's like a natural law, like the law of gravity. You cannot escape. Can you escape gravity? You know, gravity is operating 24-7 to pull you down, to drag you down. If you throw something up, it just comes right back down. You cannot escape. You know, I uh, did a little work one time. It was an internship for NASA in Florida. We were there at Cape Canaveral designing life science experiments to go up on the space shuttles. But they taught us all about the space shuttles and the rockets and the rocket boosters and the vehicle assembly building and all this stuff. And, um, you know, they would bring the shuttle after they assembled it to the rocket boosters and they would put it on the launch pad. And underneath the shuttle, there were these great big huge chutes to direct the flames out from under the shuttle. Otherwise, the shuttle would be burned up. (laughs) And millions and millions of foot-pounds of thrust just bursting out of the bottom of these rockets. And these chutes were lined with fire bricks. And once in a while, a brick would get loosened, and it, and it would just get blown out of those chutes. And 200 yards away, there's a big chain-link fence, and that brick would just be embedded in the chain-link fence. I saw it with my own eyes. That's how much power and thrust and energy it takes just to get five people off the surface of the earth into orbit around the earth temporarily. And it costs billions of dollars. Do you have billions of dollars? Then you cannot escape gravity. You are bound. You are a slave. It's impossible for you. It's impossible. Um, So this chapter shows us the bondage of sin and the slavery of sin because it's a law. It's a law of sin, just like the law of gravity that's been imparted into our being. And you might even make a decision to do good, but you know what? It's temporary. Sooner or later, you're going to come back down. The law of sin is more powerful. And the issue of sin is death. Let's read uh, John 8, 24 together. Go. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. That is the result. That is the issue of sin, is death. Is death. Okay, now, let's move on to Roman numeral 2. Let's read this all together. Go. Religion, with its law, being powerless to help those under the bondage of sin. Now, in verse 2, it says, And early in the morning he came again into the temple. Circle that word temple. You know, this was the gathering place for the religious people. And all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees, circle those two words, scribes, Pharisees. These were the leaders of the religious people. These were the educated ones, the trained ones in religion. Scribes and Pharisees. They brought a woman caught in adultery, and having set her in the midst, 
And then verse 5. Now in the law, circle that word law. Circle the next word, Moses. Moses commanded us to stone such women. Circle that phrase, stone such women. What then do you say? In these few verses, we have a summary of religion. You have the temple, you have the scribes, you have the Pharisees, you have the law, you have Moses. Stone such women. That's religion. It is powerless. It could not help her. It could not save her. And then, the next verse from 2 Corinthians, it says, the letter kills. That's the letter of the law. It kills. But the Spirit gives life. And then the next verse, Romans 8, 3, for that which the law could not do. Under, underline that, that phrase, the law could not do. And then it says, in that it was weak. Underline that. It was weak. It could not do. The letter kills. It could not do. It was weak through the flesh. And then Galatians 3, it tells us why. For if a law had been given which was able to give life, righteousness would have indeed been of the law. That is the shortage of religion. It cannot give life. You know, our problem is death. Sin causes weakness. The ultimate issue of weakness or the end of weakness is death. We're dead. Nothing can help us except life. We need the Spirit. The Spirit gives life. We need Christ to come and speak a living word to us to free us. You know, this is what we see in John chapter 5 with that impotent man there at the well, at the pool of Bethesda. He was laying there. 38 years, paralyzed, crippled, unable. And religion had a way for him to be healed. Every once in a while, an angel would come down and stir up the water, and whoever got into that water first got healed. But you know what his problem was? He couldn't do it. And also, no one would help him. Uh... That's what he said. When the Lord came to him, he said, Sir, do you want to get well? He started explaining to Jesus, You know, I just can't make it. Whenever the angel stirs up the water, I can't get there in time. Someone else gets in before me. And furthermore, no one will help me. No one will help me. But the Lord, he just simply gave a life-giving word. He said, Rise, take up your mat and walk. And the man got up. He was empowered. He was enabled by a living word from from the Lord himself. That's what we need, right? With religion, you have uh, the temple, you have scribes, Pharisees, you have the law, you have Moses, and eventually you have stone her, right? You have the letter killing. It cannot do. It's weak. It can't give life. Uh, in that story in John 5, in verse 14, after the Lord spoke that living word and he got up, the Lord said, go and sin no more so that nothing worse happens to you. That implies that his weakness uh, and his sickness was due to sin. Sin causes weakness and sickness. And the ultimate issue of that is death. 
And later in the same chapter, he says, The hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the living God and those who hear will live. We're just dead. The brood of vipers, uh, those who are children of the devil, are actually just dead. And that's why nothing can help us except life. And that's why we need the next Roman numeral. How about we read Roman numeral 3 together? Go. Being powerful to set people free from the bondage of sin. Religion may be good, but you know what? It cannot give you life. And that's what a dead person needs. Everybody in the world who has not yet met the one who is life is just a walking dead person. They need life. Well, point A, uh, this Jesus Christ who is powerful to set people free from the bondage of sin, He is the ever-existing God, the great I Am. The great I Am. Jesus Christ is God. Hallelujah. You know, just last week, my gospel partner and I were out on the campus and we met this this uh, student, and he wanted to argue with us about this point. And we just began to, (laughs) we even started in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. And we just began to go through the Bible and just show Jesus Christ is God. You know, the first verse of the Bible says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. You know, in the New Testament it says, All things came into being through Christ. He's the creator. He's God. How about Isaiah 9, 6? Do you all know that verse? Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. How can a child, a son, be the Eternal God? Eternal Father and the Mighty God. It's a mystery, but it's true, right? Jesus Christ is God. And here in... uh, I wanted to point to this verse in Exodus first. You know, we use this phrase, the great I am. Well, that comes from Exodus 3.14. In this chapter, Moses met God in a burning thorn bush. He saw, he saw a bush burning, but not being consumed. And, and he started going over to check it out. And when he got close, the voice came and said, Take the sandals off your feet, because the ground you're standing on is holy ground. And God began to speak to him and say, You know, I want you to go back to Egypt, and I want you to uh, uh, rescue my people. My people are there in bondage, and I want you to... Bring them out of Egypt. You need to speak a word to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And uh, Moses asked God, he said, uh, well, when I go back to your people, they're going to ask me, what's the name of this God that's sending me to them? What shall I tell them? What, what is your name? And let's read Exodus 3.14. This is God's response. Go. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. 
I am. That's his name. With no qualifiers, right? I am. Whatever you need, I am. Uh, He's the self-existing, ever-existing God. Well, in John chapter 8, three times the Lord refers to himself as I am. In verse 24, he says, For unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. In verse 28, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am. Well, I know in uh, some translations of the Bible, they insert the word he there. I am he. So when you read that, you might not be so impressed with this title of God in Exodus 3.14, I am. But actually, when, when translators, if it's a direct, literal translation from the Greek into English, if they add words, they should put them in italics to indicate to the reader that it's not there in the original text, but they supplied the word in order to make it read more smoothly or more understandable in English. Well, the King James Version, for example, is a literal translation, and they add the word he, but they put it in italics. Well, some people may, um, you know, come with some argument that makes, tries to explain away that he's not really God, he's not really I am, and so forth. But the next verse is very clear. That's in 58. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham came into being, I am. And uh, even in the King James Version, this is in all caps. I am. And there's no he after it either. (laughs) But listen, if you're still not convinced, the next verse, it says, So they, the Jews, they picked up stones to throw at him. You might not realize what he was saying, or you might try to reason your way around this, but the Jews knew exactly what he was saying. Right? They knew exactly what he was saying. You're saying you're God. Let's stone him. That's heretical. Right? (laughs) He is the great I am. Praise the Lord. That's why he's powerful, to set us free from the bondage of sin. Okay, B, it says, Becoming the Son of Man, the only man without sin, and being lifted up on the cross to bear our sins. Um, okay, let's take a look at a couple of these verses. In, um, in verse 7, um, this is where he stands up and he says, He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. So who is without sin? Well, then verse 9 says, And when they heard that, they went out one by one, beginning with the older ones, and then underline this next phrase, And Jesus was left alone. He's the only man without sin. He's the only one that didn't have to leave. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Uh, In verse 28, this is where he refers to himself as the Son of Man. Yes, he's the great I Am. He is Jehovah God, the eternal, ever-existing, self-existing one. But yet he's also the Son of Man. 
And uh, here it says, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am and that I do nothing from myself. I love that phrase. I do nothing from myself. The, <clears throat> the fact that he became the Son of Man implies a humbling, a lowering of himself to reach us. You know, he is God. He's the great I am. And uh, even in Philippians chapter 2, it says that he was equal with God, but he did not consider that equality with God a treasure to be grasped, to be held onto. But instead, he emptied himself. He lowered himself. He humbled himself. He became subject to the Father. You know, the three of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit, are equal. They're God. They're one. But the second of the divine trinity submitted himself to the Father and humbled himself and emptied himself and became in the form of a man. Uh, Even it says, as a slave, not just a man, but even a slave, a servant, he came to serve God and to serve man. And then he humbled himself even lower uh, to be obedient even to the death of a cross, the most humiliating, despicable kind of death at that time, instituted by the Roman government. So this, uh, <clears throat> this matter that he became the Son of Man is a tremendous point. Uh, the Son of Man, the only man without sin. You know, because he was without sin, he could have done anything he wanted. And it would have been good, and it would have been perfect. It would have been sinless. But instead... He chose to be subject to God the Father. Like it says here, uh, I do nothing from myself, but as my Father has taught me, I speak these things. He stood in his position as a man, submitting to God the Father. And uh, and because of that also, in Hebrews 4.15, it says that he can be touched with the feeling of our weaknesses. Do you have weaknesses? Do you have temptations? He's been tempted in all respects like us, yet without sin. Praise the Lord. Yet without sin. In 1 Peter 2, it says, Who committed no sin, nor was guile found in his mouth. The other day, um, an older brother, who's fairly new in the church life, he wanted to fellowship with me about something. And basically what he wanted to fellowship about was um, he's having trouble with his mouth uh, criticizing and complaining and murmuring. Um, And uh, you know what? That's all of our case, right? He thought he was unique. but (laughs) Uh, Anyways, we got through that has some good fellowship on the blood of Christ and confessing to the Lord. But, but listen, with Christ as the Son of Man who knew no sin, there was no guile in his mouth, no, no, no impurity coming out of his mouth. And then it says in verse 24, who himself bore up our sins in his body on the tree. So this Jesus Christ 
is powerful to set people free from the bondage of sin because he's the ever-existing God, the great I am, but also because he became the Son of Man to reach us, the only man without sin, and was lifted up on the cross to bear our sins. Now, I want to share something here about this matter of being lifted up. Um, You know, for redemption, um, what we often think about is the Lord dying for us as the Lamb of God who shed His blood for our sins, right? To pay the price for our sins. But the Lord uses this phrase in John a couple of times, lifted up. If I be lifted up. Um, And we have to see that Okay, for redemption, the Lord had to be the Lamb of God. But for dealing with the serpentine nature, the satanic nature of sin in us, He had to be lifted up in the form of a serpent. And that comes to us in John 3.14. You have the verse there? Let's read it all together. Go. So must the Son of Man be lifted up. You know, the story here comes from the book of Numbers, chapter 21. And there, Moses had led the people of Israel out of Egypt through the Red Sea. They were in the wilderness. And at a certain point, they began to complain uh, to Moses and murmur against Moses. And God was not happy about that. He sent some poisonous snakes in among the camp of the Israelites And they were biting the children of Israel, and they were dying. And so they repented. They said, Moses, we've sinned against you, against God. Please pray to God to free us uh, from these poisonous snakes. So Moses prayed to God, and God told Moses, Okay, make a serpent out of bronze or brass, and then lift it up on a pole. And whoever looks at that serpent will live. Strange, right? Strange. Uh, Until you realize that Satan himself is the ancient serpent. He's the ancient serpent. And he has injected his poisonous nature into us and begotten us to be all of his children, children of the devil. We're a brood of serpents. But he wanted to deal with the source of that serpentine nature. And so he himself became in the form, the same form. It says, let me read you this verse. This is Romans 8.3. It says, For that which the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God, sending his own Son in the likeness of the flesh of sin, and concerning sin, condemns sin in the flesh. Well, in, in the same way that that brass serpent, it had the form of a serpent, but it didn't have the poisonous nature of a serpent. In the same way, Jesus Christ came in the form of the flesh of sin, but without sin, without the sin nature. And he was lifted up on a pole, on the cross, as that, the reality of that brass serpent. And now, today, whoever looks, whoever looks at him will live. 
You know, I heard, I read part of the biography of George, uh, sorry, Charles Spurgeon. And this is how he got saved. Somebody was preaching the gospel with this verse. And he just kept saying, he said the, the preacher was actually just a layman in, in the audience. And because there was a big snowstorm, the actual uh, pastor or whatever didn't, couldn't show up. So some person in the, in the um, congregation just came up and began to speak on this verse. And he didn't have much to say, but he just kept saying over and over again, look and live, look and live. And Charles Spurgeon got saved. He looked and he lived. (laughs) But praise the Lord, Jesus was lifted up as the reality of the brass serpent to deal with the serpent himself. And uh, uh, in John 12, 31 and 32, the Lord says this. He says, now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to himself. His being lifted up is totally associated with the casting out of that old serpent. By him being lifted up on the cross, Satan got exposed, got judged, and got cast out. Praise the Lord. The source of sin. Sin which is in us, dwelling in us as a law, operating, got dealt with. Praise the Lord. Okay, now, uh, let's move on. Qualified to condemn sinners, but he would not. Praise the Lord. Well, who is qualified to condemn you? Right? Who is qualified? Um, Who has this position to condemn you? You know, when we were kids, sometimes we condemn our brothers and sisters for this or that. <clears throat> Eventually, our mom said, um, if you don't have anything good to say, don't th- say anything at all. <laughs> Did your mother ever tell you that? We're not qualified. We don't have the position or the qualific- uh, qualification to condemn anyone, right? <laughs> or to criticize anyone. But there is one who does, right? Right? The only one who is without sin, he is qualified. Uh, Qualified to condemn us. He has the position to condemn us. But listen, although he's qualified to do it, he would not do it. Let's read uh, John 8, 10 and 11 together. Go. And Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Praise the Lord. Neither do I condemn you. Praise the Lord. He was qualified to, but he wouldn't do it. Because why? Because, as it says in the next verse, he is the Savior of the world. Praise the Lord. Then D says he's qualified to forgive man's sin. And I like this verse in Matthew 9, because not only is he qualified to forgive... It says here, he has authority on earth to forgive sins. He has the authority. Praise the Lord. Now, let's move on to E. Able to set people free from sin and to save man from the result of sin. Well, uh, you know, Satan's subtlety, um, his subtlety 
was not merely to cause us to do something wrong. Uh, Even way back in the beginning with Adam and Eve, it's not that he caused them to disobey God. That's not the main issue. I mean, disobedience is not good, (laughs) but that's not the main issue. You know, if I tell my uh, children when when they're real young, you know, don't get into that cupboard where we have all these cleaning supplies and Clorox and ammonia and whatever else. Don't get into that cupboard. Don't touch that stuff. Um, Well, one day, one of my children might do that. They might disobey me and open that cupboard and look at the liquid and say, oh, this is interesting, and take the lid off and might even taste it. Well, if that happened, do you think I'm... I? As the father, I'm going to be so much concerned that he disobeyed me? No, I'm going to be concerned. My kid just got poisoned. I'm going to call 911, right? Uh, That's the concern. The disobedience is a small matter compared to the poison that got imparted into us, right? So his subtlety, that is the devil's subtlety, was that he injected himself into us. That means that sin is not merely something objective outside of us, but it's part of our very subjective nature. And so that's why nothing outside of us, like the law, can help us. It cannot help us. If my son is poisoned because he drank some cleaning liquid or something, if I, if I show him the science book on what happens when you drink Clorox and, you know, how it's going to affect you, and it has no effect. It, it, it's not going to help him at all, right? Um, we, need, we need something to come inside of us, right? And, um, and that's Christ himself. He comes in as life and he counteracts the very serpentine nature in our being. Um, you know... Confucius can't help you. Plato can't help you. There's a lot of philosophers, even today, modern-day philosophers uh, and ancient philosophers. They know the, even they know the problem with man. They can identify the problems with society, but they have no way to help. They have no solution because the problem is not outside of man. The problem is inside. It's in our very nature. Uh, so here, um, well, the point with these verses, in verse 32, it says, The truth shall set you free. But in verse 36, If therefore the Son sets you free. It's a person that sets us free, right? The truth here in, uh, in verse 32, that word truth is not doctrine. It's reality. The same word is translated as reality in John 14, 6. Uh, The Son comes in as the reality of God, the embodiment of God. He comes into us and He uh, counteracts the serpentine nature in, in our very being. Praise the Lord. And He also saves us from the result of sin. If you look at verse 51... 
Let's read that together. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall by no means see death forever. Death is the issue of sin. It's the result of sin. But once sin is dealt with, then spontaneously the result of sin is also dealt with. Okay, now we come to the final point. F, let's read this together. The way of setting free from sin by the light of life and the Son as reality. And everybody on John 8, 12, go. Therefore Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall by no means walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Well, to walk in darkness is just to walk in sin. Because sin is darkness. Darkness is a byproduct of sin. But it says he is the light of the world. And if we follow him, we shall by no means walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. The way that the Lord sets us free from sin is by the light of life and the sun as the reality. Uh, You know, when the Lord comes into us, we got regenerated. We got born again. We got enlivened with the eternal life, which is God himself. He is life. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He came into us. But that life is also light. You see, the verse says the light of life. When we got the life, we also got the light. So that light is inside of us, shining. It's shining. And through this shining, little by little, sin is being dealt with. Sin is being uh, killed in our being. It's being killed. You know, let me give you an example of our temper. Who, who here has a temper? <laughs> Actually, everyone has a temper. With some, it's just shorter than others, right? Uh, like I mentioned, the temper was the, uh, it was the first expression of the serpentine nature way back in Genesis 4 uh, when, uh, when Cain, you know, when God disapproved his offering. It says he became very angry. Well, uh, we all have an, a temper, but listen, w- the Lord came into us. He came into me, and he's been shining. He's been shining. You know, I, I used to think I was the most patient person in the world. I could stand. Where's, where's Brian Raleigh? Is Brian here? You know, he's from Pennsylvania. Brian, I could stand in a cool mountain stream in Pennsylvania with a fishing pole and all day long and catch nothing and be totally content. I was so patient. But then one day I got married. <laughs> and my, my, quote, patience, it got tested. It got tested. <laughs> and I realized, you know what? <clears throat> the only difference between a patient person and a not-so-patient person is about 10 minutes. <laughs> we all have, we all have uh, a, a temper. And... Um, But the Lord came into us. And when he came into us and regenerated us, he's been shining. He's been shining. You know, light 
even to this day, I don't, I mean, back when I was in college, they didn't know, I don't know if they still don't know, but uh, whether light is a particle or a wave, is that still a debate out there? Okay, yeah. <laughs> well, when light comes in, you know, it, it can actually kill things. Light kills bacteria. In fact, they use um, um, UV light to kill bacteria in drinking water and things like that, right? It kills germs. Um, well, there's a heavenly light inside of us. You might even call it a heavenly divine radium. You know, radium, it's a radioactive material that's luminescent and it's shining. And they even use it in, a, in a radiotherapy to deal with certain diseases and things to kill cells in your body. Um, but we got, the, we got the heavenly divine radium imparted into our being, and it is shining. And with, with people in the world, with unbelievers, it seems like the more they lose their temper, the more temper they have to lose. Uh, I mean, that's what happens with road rage and stuff, right? <laughs> you, you know, somebody loses their temper, and then it gets more heated and more heated, and eventually um, they do something they wish they hadn't done. Uh, but with us, who are enjoying the Lord day by day, having morning revival, eating Christ, uh, getting filled with Him, the heavenly divine radium, is being deposited in our being and it's shining and it's killing and it seems like the more we lose our temper, the less temper we have to lose. Have you had that experience? (laughs) Eventually, you're in a situation and you just realize, man, 10 years ago, if that would have happened, I would have probably ended up in jail. (laughs) But uh, now, it just doesn't bother me. I have less temper to lose. <laughs> Why? Because I've been under the heavenly divine radium for years. Praise the Lord. And then also it says, not only by, uh, <clears throat> by the light of life, but also by the sun as reality. And as, <clears throat> as I already mentioned, uh, in verse 32, you can circle the word truth. In verse 36, the word sun the sun is the truth, but the truth is the reality. In John fourteen six, the Lord said, I am the way and the reality and the life. The sun as the reality um, frees us from the bondage of sin. You know, reality is the divine element imparted into us. And every time we open to the Lord, every time we touch Him... Not only do we get uh, life with its light, but we also get the divine element as the reality of God deposited into our being. And there is an accumulation of the divine element uh, building up in our being day by day, week by week, year by year. That divine element is accumulating in our being, and that is the sun as the reality. And that accumulation frees us. From the bondage of sin. Uh, one illustration that I read about um, is a kind of a medical treatment to deal with certain blood diseases. And um, the way it works 
is that when you take this medicine, and on one hand, it kills the germs and kind of negative elements in your being, in your blood. But on the other hand, it adds a positive element. So we have the light of life shining, killing. We also have the divine element being added and accumulating. That's the sun as the reality, freeing us from the bondage of sin. Well, praise the Lord. The last point I put on here, um, just because I enjoyed it, and we've been in Genesis recently. Uh, Let's read the last verse, Genesis 14, 14. And when Abram heard that his brother had been taken captive, he led out his trained men, born in his house, 318 of them, and pursued as far as Dan. You know, uh, sin is crouching around the corner. It's ready to enslave us, uh, to capture us at any time. And uh, to be in the body of Christ, to be in fellowship with the other members, and to pray for one another is a big deal. It's a big deal. You know, the world that we live in today is orders of magnitude worse than when I was your age. It's orders of magnitude with the click of a button, uh, you, can, you can destroy your life. So we need to pray for one another, right? In this dark age, yes, praise the Lord, we have the light of life within us. We have the sun as reality in us. But we also have one another to pray for each other, right? To pray for each other. Uh, and even to speak to one another, the divine reality. I enjoyed the message last night about the water, right? Uh, We can actually give the living water to others. Uh, Praise the Lord. Well, we need to end here.